Have you ever had a bad day before? Maybe one of those days where from the moment you step out of bed, nothing seems to go your way. Well, if you think you've had a bad day, consider the story of this man who's explaining his accident to the insurance company. He says, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more, and I trust that the following details are sufficient. He says, I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out over the side, and loaded it with bricks. Then I went back down to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 175 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind, and I was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground, and the bottom of the barrel fell out. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, the lacerations around my legs and lower body, and the encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell on the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were fractured. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the barrel above me, six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind. I let go of the rope. Maybe you've had a bad day. Hopefully nothing like this gentleman here. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad month. And maybe you wish that someone would have come to you beforehand, before this event happened, and asked for your input. Maybe gave you a couple options that said, here's what you have coming down the pipe. You can choose one of the three. And you had some input where you got to choose your own adventures in life. But that's not how life works. You don't get to choose all of your own adventures. Maybe you've heard about this children's series, Choose Your Own Adventures. It's a series of books where the reader plays a very important role in developing the characters, the plot, and ultimately choosing the ending. It was popular in the 1980s and 1990s, and over 250 million copies were sold. And the book was set up in such a way that the reader would, you'd read a couple pages, you'd come to a point where you had two or three options. If you chose option one, it would say skip to page 20. 
You'd read for a couple more pages. You'd be faced with some more options of how you wanted to take the story and then tell you to skip to page 45 and so on. And so you chose the adventures that your characters went on and you chose ultimately how the book ended. But life doesn't work that way. You don't get to choose your own adventures. You don't get to choose if you have a bad day or not. And our man Joseph would probably feel our pain. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at his life in the book of Genesis, and he seems to be having bad day after bad day after bad week and bad years. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have chosen some of the adventures that he's been on. We've talked about how at the age of 17, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, made the trek to Egypt where he was purchased by Potiphar, rose to the ranks and was in charge of all of Potiphar's house. And last week, we saw how Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of committing a crime. And now he's thrown in prison. Just another bad day for Joseph. I'm sure he wouldn't have chosen some of these adventures. But this is where we pick up today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, when Potiphar throws him in prison, and we're going to see his divine appointment, Joseph's divine appointment to a position in the prison. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Another roller coaster ride for our man Joseph. Once in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, now finds himself in prison. It's another bad day, an adventure he probably wouldn't have chose. But we see how his divine appointment to this position plays a very important role later on. Because when he's appointed to this position, he now oversees some prisoners. And when we continue reading, we see that he has encounters with two men, starting now in chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. You see, there's been a few times in my life where I wish I had a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer means cup holder, and that was his job, to hold the cup for the king, because powerful kings back then also had powerful enemies, enemies that wanted to harm them or possibly kill them by poisoning their drink. Twice a month here at the church, our ministry staff goes out to lunch to spend time connecting and planning some events that are coming up in the future. And a few years ago, there were a few instances where I wish I had a cupbearer because apparently we have some pranksters on staff. 
I won't name any names, but it rhymes with Seamus. And he liked to do this thing where if someone got up to go to the bathroom or maybe to go get some silverware, some hot sauce, we'd come back, sit down, take a nice big gulp of our salty Dr. Pepper or our fire hot sauce sweet tea. And it's in those moments I wish I had someone I trusted to sit there and watch over my cup as I was away so no one could mess with it. No one could put anything in it. And that was the job of the cupbearer, that when the king, king's attention was not on his drink, maybe he was away in conversation, that was a person who Pharaoh trusted deeply to protect him, to ensure that he was protecting his cup and that there was no poison, nothing put in it to harm him. The second person we see that Joseph encounters is the baker. This is another person that obviously Pharaoh would have to trust deeply because he prepared all of the food that the Pharaoh would eat. And if there was a prime opportunity to poison or cause harm to the king, it was when he was baking the food. Now, the Bible doesn't say why these two people were thrown in prison, only that Pharaoh was angry with them. He was upset with them, and they are in prison under Joseph's control, and apparently they had been there long enough where Joseph got to know a little bit about them. He could read their faces. You guys know people in your life that you can see from their face that something's wrong. Well, Joseph had developed some sort of a relationship, and that morning he woke up and saw on their faces that they were sad. So his divine appointment to this position and his encounters with these two men leads him the opportunity to share some good news and some bad news. Continuing in verse 8, Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to them. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. You see, dreams were taken very seriously in their time because before Scripture was recorded and written down in the Bible, God often spoke to people through dreams. It's something you see as you read throughout Scripture. So the powerful kings and rulers at the time would have people close to them that when they had a dream, they could go to them and they would interpret the dream just like Joseph did and tell them what to expect. Maybe God was warning them of something coming up in the future or giving them advice on how to handle the current situation. But the cupbearer and baker, now being in prison, away from Pharaoh and access to the people who interpret the dreams, they were sad because they didn't know what the dreams meant. And Joseph, being a man of God that we've seen over the past few weeks, continually faithful, had the gift of interpreting these dreams and telling them what they meant. And as he reads here, or as he tells the cupbearer here about his dream, it brings the cupbearer hope. Because even though he's sitting in a prison cell, he told him in just three short days, Pharaoh would get you out of the prison cell. 
You'll have your old job back. Everything will be great. And Joseph has one request, that when you get back, when you are restored to your position, see how confident Joseph is? He doesn't say if you get your job back. He says, when you are restored to your position, remember me. And now he doesn't go on and give some sob story and start gossiping about his brothers, about how they sold them. He doesn't start gossiping about Potiphar's wife, now she falsely accused him. He just says, I, don't, I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. So when you're standing there holding the Pharaoh's cup, mention me. Maybe even tell him how I accurately interpreted your dream and I can get out of prison. The cupbearer is left with hope. But as we keep reading, the baker, however, is left in despair. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable, favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Wow. Maybe he heard the cupbearer's good news and he thought, maybe Joseph can share some of that with me, but his interpretation stands in stark contrast. I'm sure the baker was hoping that Joseph's interpretation of his dream wouldn't come to fruition. It wouldn't happen. On the other hand, you have the cupbearer who's hoping that Joseph's interpretation is true, and it does happen so that he can be restored to his position. So Joseph's divine appointment to this position leads to these two encounters where he shares good news and bad news, hope for the cupbearer, and unfortunately, despair for the baker. As we keep reading in verse 20, we see that prophecies are fulfilled, but promises, however, are forgotten. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials, He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so he once again put the cup to Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. We see that Pharaoh's decision here falls right in line with what Joseph predicted would happen because of interpreting their dreams. The cupbearer gets his old job back. Now, you might be thinking that the cupbearer is super excited that he's no longer in prison anymore. He's thankful for Joseph giving him some hope. And as he stands there, he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. But that doesn't happen. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. We see his neglect here. Could you imagine being in Joseph's shoes, being in the prison when Pharaoh's Officials came to take the cupbearer and baker out. Joseph knows what's going to happen. Maybe later on he hears some news that the cupbearer has his little job back. Joseph's been in prison for all these years, and he's so close. And now he sits there staring at the prison door, waiting for someone to bust through and come and get Joseph to take him to the Pharaoh. But minutes go by, hours go by, Days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by. 
Joseph was in prison for two more years. He was so close, but so far away. Continues the thread of Joseph's bad days, bad weeks, bad years, and these adventures that surely he wouldn't have chosen for himself. And I think as we look at this passage of Scripture today and see how Joseph handles these setbacks and disappointments, not just in this instance, but previously, we can find three reminders for ourselves when dealing with setbacks and disappointments. You see, it's been, it, sh- it might be easy for you the past few weeks if we've been, as we've been reading about Joseph's story to sit and wonder, where is God in all of this? We see that Joseph's been faithful, but where's God? Where was God when he was sold into slavery? Where was God when he was purchased by Potiphar and falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit? Where was God when he was thrown in prison? Where was God when he was faithful in interpreting these dreams yet forgotten? Where was God when Joseph needed him? Let's look at chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Verse 21, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success at whatever he did. You see, in the midst of these setbacks and disappointments that Joseph was facing, God was right there with him. As he was walking the miles to Egypt to be sold as a slave, God was with him. As he was laying in a prison cell for something he didn't do, God was with him. God was with Joseph. This is something we see about God's character and a promise we see throughout Scripture. Isaiah chapter 41, God talking to Jacob. So do not fear, for I am with you. The 23rd Psalm, David writes this in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus' own words in Matthew 28, verse 20, right before he sends into heaven, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So where is God in your trials and your setbacks and your disappointments? He's right there with you, just as he was for Joseph. And it's a promise we see he's made to his followers throughout the Bible. So where's God? He's right there with you. It's easy to question where God is at. It's also easy to question what he's doing. This brings us to the second point here, that God is working. And while it might not seem like it when you're sitting in the middle of some event in your life that you don't know what's happening, God is working. God is going to use that for good. We're going to skip to Genesis chapter 45. This is after Joseph has had some interactions with his brothers, but they don't, under, they don't realize who he is because it's been so long. And so this is where Joseph, for the first time, tells them that he is their brother, starting in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph could very easily have been angry with his brothers for selling him and starting this adventure 
that he didn't want anything to do with. And I'm sure as he was walking to Egypt to be sold as a slave, he didn't know how God could use any of that. When he was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, he didn't know how God could use any of that. When he was laying in a prison cell, he didn't know how God could use any of that. But now, standing in his position as a great ruler of Egypt, protecting them from famine, he can look back at those events in his life, and he can see how God used them, how God was working in them to bring about good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God does not cause all things to happen. God does not cause all things to happen. But he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. He did not cause Joseph's brothers to sin and sell their own relative into slavery. He did not cause Potiphar's wife to lust after Joseph. He did not cause Joseph's or Potiphar's wife to lie about these events. God did not cause all of this stuff to happen, but he caused all of it to work together for the good of Joseph, for the good of his people. Thankfully, Joseph sees that. He tells his brothers, "Don't be upset." God used all this. God caused all of this to work together for good. And I don't know what setbacks and disappointments you're dealing with right now. Maybe you're struggling with raising your children. Maybe your marriage is on its final thread. Maybe financially, you're struggling to make ends meet. And you're questioning, where is God on all of this, and what in the world is he doing? Well, God is with you, and though you might not see it at the time, God is working. You might not understand that tomorrow. You might not understand that next week or next month or next year or within the next decade. But at some point in your life, if you remain faithful in following him, you'll be able to look back and say, ah, I see. But when you're in the midst of it, it can be cloudy and confusing So I encourage you to focus on him. Focus on him. There's so many distractions in life, especially when you're in the midst of some disappointing circumstance that can take your eyes off of God. They can distract us. The writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Maybe you've heard, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And as we look at Joseph's life and how he handles setbacks and disappointments, he doesn't get distracted. He doesn't become angry on the people who have done bad to him. He's continually faithful, fixing his eyes on Jesus, which impacts his actions and his character. I wonder how Joseph's life would have been different if he would have been distracted. What if when Potiphar threw him in prison, he was so upset with Potiphar, so angry for being thrown in prison for something he didn't even do, and he said, I've had enough. He sits over in the corner, does his own thing, waiting 
until maybe someday he might make it out. He wouldn't have risen through the ranks and been in charge of the prison. He wouldn't have been appointed to that position. He wouldn't have had the encounters with the cupbearer and baker. He wouldn't have had the opportunity to interpret these dreams. And then two years later, which we'll talk about next week, be out of prison for what he did. He would have passed up all of those opportunities because he was so concerned about himself and all these setbacks and disappointments, and he was being distracted. I wonder how many opportunities we pass up because we're so upset for what's been done to us. But just as Joseph did, I encourage you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him so that you don't grow weary and lose heart, like Hebrew says. See, in life, we don't get to choose the bad days that we have. We don't get to choose our own adventures. But we do get to choose how we respond to the adventures in our life. Just like Joseph, I encourage you, when responding to setbacks and disappointments, remember that God is with you. God is working. So what you need to do is focus on Him. So my question, how will you respond to trials, setbacks, and disappointments in your own life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the life of Joseph that we can read and we can study and see how he, as a man of God, responded to trials and temptations and setbacks and disappointments. God, I don't know all of the disappointments and setbacks in this room, but you do. And I pray that you'd continually remind us that you'd use our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us that while it might not seem like it, you are right there with us. Even though we might not know why it's happening, that you're working, continually encourage us to focus on you so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. We thank you and it's your name we pray. Amen. God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him. Maybe today you want to be a loving follower of Jesus.